have faith in yourself. You got this far. You didn't get there by being stupid, really. You, you know, you've got a lot of brains between those ears. So have faith in yourself and know you're going to do a few face plants when you first get out and practice. Everybody goes through it. I call it baptism by fire, did all that. Um, and it's a learning. That's how we learn. You learn from your mistakes and you feel bad and you keep going forward, but have faith in yourself. That's why you're here. It's time for a new era of communication in the swine industry. One that you can get the latest updates while commuting or driving to farms. Here you will have the brightest minds of the global swine industry in your pocket. Swine It Podcast is only possible with the support of forward-looking and innovative companies like Zinpro, Essential Trace Minerals, Exceptional Performance, Ivonic, We Are Sciencing the Global Food Challenge, AB Vista, New Nutritional Perspectives and Novel Enzyme Applications to Drive Pig Production, Genesis, The First Power in Genetics, Gestal, Always One Step Ahead in Swine Feeding, Adiseo provides programs and services to help producers achieve their targets in high-quality, safe, and sustainable way. Welcome to the Swine It Podcast Show. I am Laura Greiner, your host for today's episode. This episode's sponsored highlight is about AB Vista, an animal nutrition technology company offering innovative products and new applications for the swine industry. The combination of AB Vista enzymes, technical services, and nutrition expertise provides the industry with new opportunities to further improve production efficiencies. Fiber is receiving renewed interest due to its influence on the microbiome, and AB Vista has brought together research experts to discuss the industry's knowledge of fiber functionality and to introduce a stimbiotic targeted to improve fiber digestion. To request access, contact NAM at abvista.com. That's N-A-M at abvista.com. Hello, everyone. I'm Laura Greiner, your host for today's Swine It podcast. And with me today, I have Dr. Sue Berlashenko, who is with the Goshen Veterinary Clinic in Canada. How are you today, Sue? I'm great. Thank you. Well, we're glad to have you on today. Um, for our audience who may not be familiar with you, let's maybe take a couple moments and just have you do a little bit of a background about yourself. Sure. Well, I'm a um, solo practitioner now um, of many years experience. I think as we were saying earlier, about 38 years. Uh, started out in a mixed animal practice, then segued for three years with the provincial Ministry of Agriculture and Food doing swine work there. And uh, after that, I opened up my own shop um, as a swine practitioner, uh, continued to do some small animal practice to pay the mortgage, and then eventually just started doing swine only. Um, so it's it's been uh, a long time. I've had a lot of fun with it. Along the way, I did a diplomat in swine health and production. Uh, in 2005, I recertified in 2015, and I also um, went back and did a Master of Public Health, which I finished in 2013. So um, apparently uh, learning is a career path for me as well. Perfect. Well, it's always good to be a lifelong learner. It is. One of the things that we were visiting with a little bit is is kind of where you're at in your your career path now, and you're, you're a solar, sole practitioner. and um, you have some time where you spend with 
veterinarians that are new to the industry or new to the profession. Um, what do you notice in terms of, of mentoring those students? What are some maybe tips and tricks that we can share with our group today on, on how to help our new, new veterinarians into the profession? Well, I think, um, you know, they're, they're understandably nervous, um, a lot of them. I, I wouldn't say it's an overwhelming impression, but I, I mean, I was the same way myself. You know, you're suddenly launched in the world with a DR in front of your name and you're like, oh, things just got real. And then you realize all the things you don't know because you haven't got the benefit of experience. And I think that that can be really intimidating um, if you're working with veterinarians that they just, you know, they sort of it's almost off the cuff. They just know, seem to know everything. And I, I remember struggling when I was younger. So when I'm with the students, it's, it's really, or students, the young vets, or students, I'm really, um, I'm pretty laid back. I think I'm just an Uber mom, you know, we just talk about a lot of things, life in general, and, you know, take them through some fun cases, go, you know, I, I take them to some simpler farms if we're, I'm working with younger vets and, just getting them, you know, up to speed. These certainly these large operations can be quite intimidating, and so um, my approach when I'm going in is certainly just to go through the barns initially, show them what the layout is, show them how the operation is run, introduce them to some people there, and um, then once we're finished, you know, with that aspect, um, you know, if there's records analysis or anything, then we'll we'll look at that afterwards. I always I always just like to have an open mind, that's always been my approach, an open mind going into herds, because if you look at records first, and I'm, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm lecturing a little bit here, so you have to forgive me, but you wind up with a preconceived notion sometimes. You'll see something and you go, oh, I think, you know, this looks like it's this. And then you go in the barn and your brain will tell you, oh, yeah, that's, it's that. And, and you'll miss some of the subtle details that might be contributing to whatever indices you were looking at. So you know, going in there with an open mind, and, and this kind of rolls back to um, actually a classmate of mine who was in swine before I was. And when I started getting into them, thanks to her, I said, oh, gosh, I, you know, I, I'm limited in my experience. I'm, I'm going to be working with a lot of um, small purebred breeders here in Ontario. And I said, what am I going to do? And the best advice I ever had, and I still tell young people this to this day, shut up and listen. And you... <laughs> It has informed my entire career. I mean, I do find it hard to shut up at times, but when I'm working up a really difficult case, listening, the art of listening, and I've inserted that sort of, you know, in, into many things I've done over my career, the art of listening is, is really hard. And you have to be able to basically unhook your brain from your butt and just listen to what people are telling you, because initially they'll tell you everything that they think you want to hear. And then once they've kind of overcome that and you talk about, you know, hey, how were the kids' soccer games last night? Or, you know, how's grandma in the hospital? And, and you, you know your clients. I have a very small practice. I call it a boutique practice. And so I know everybody quite well. And, and you get into, you know, the human part of that vet-client relationship and people relax. And then as you're going along, quite often when I'm working something up, they'll say, well, then I did blah. And I'm like ah, there's the missing piece because you're listening and they're starting to resonate with you. You just, you just can't go blasting into a barn talking about everything. And then, you know, people sort of dither a little bit and then you, you're probably going to miss whatever you're looking for. And so it's a real art to learn that. But with, along with the art of listening, I think comes the art of empathy. 
and it's that's harder to learn. I think you're either born with it or not, but you can certainly improve your empathetic skills by listening. And I think that's a really important starting point. And then if people are really comfortable with you, certainly as a young vet with maybe not a lot of us, a big skill set like the, the older practitioners, but you're already welcomed into those barns and they've already started to build that trust. And trust is huge between us, you know? And so that's when, when the, you're going into a barn as a young vet, once you've established that, then your relation starts to build and your confidence builds, the client's confidence is building in you and it becomes really a positive back and forth kind of event. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't agree any any more with you on that comment. One of the things that I always had found when I was out in the barns is as you you have that communication, even if you don't know the answer, and it's okay not to know, right? Especially new in your career, it's the the commitment to going and finding the answer. And yes. if you can do that and relay it back to the owner, you know, it's, they're a little bit more forgiving if you don't know it immediately on the spot relative to, okay, well, they know that they can, as you said, trust you that you're going to go and you're going to get that information. You're going to get it back to them in a timely manner. And that's also what I call the art of saying, I don't know, because you don't know. And so when the, when the young vets are out of the students, I say, that's another thing you need to learn. And you're exactly on point with that comment. Um, you know, the students or the young vets, you know, I say, you, you, you give your list of rule outs, you take some samples. One of the big things I, I like to tell people is give them something to do. Whatever it might be, changing a little technique, adjusting the ventilation, whatever it is, you give them something to do so you've left them with something. While you go back with whatever samples you took, hoping you got the right things, and then you go talk to the senior vet and said, I have no idea what's going on. And that's fine. Then you get some clues from the senior vet who says, well, did you do this, this, and this? And you go, oh, okay. But then you told the client while you were there, you're going to call them in two or three days to see how that something to do was going. At this point now, you're armed with more information. They're delighted because you called them back and it shows your interest and your concern. So again, it's building and you're also learning from that. So I, it's really hard to say, I don't know. I can say it at my stage because everybody knows if I don't know, I really don't know. And I'll work through it. And I've had some pretty wild cases where it's like, I really should be doing something else for a living. But, um, you know, you, you dog it and you pursue it. And then very frequently you'll get to at least a partial answer, if not the whole answer. But it's work. And so I think everybody sort of, you hear these stories, you know, at conferences where vets give these glorious cases and they went from A to Z in no time at all. And you're like, oh man, I'm stupid. <laughs> and they probably went through the whole part of, I don't know, maybe I should go truck riding for a living. I'm not doing anybody any good here. But when you present it, of course, it's very elegant. So um, I think it's remembering that we've all been there and done that. It's a rite of passage in veterinary medicine or in human medicine. It's the same thing. Absolutely. And I think as professionals, we all have that that vision of, of maybe being the person that hits that big home run and either you discover something new or, or you find a new way to treat something or, you know, whichever profession you're in, whether it's veterinary medicine or nutrition or repro or whatever. Um, but I think it's important to remember too, that not everything we always used to say, if you hear hoof prints, think horses, not zebras, right? Not everything's going to be this new and exciting thing. It may still exactly. be the same parasitic that you've chased you know, 10 times in this barn just looks a little different. Exactly. 
how do you help maybe um, quell a little bit of that nervousness and that excitement of wanting to go discover the new things and just help them get comfortable with the day to day and, and, you know, starting there. Get your routine done. You, you have to develop a barn routine that you do the same, same approaches. Every barn is different. So your, your approach may be different depending on what you're, you know, obviously a grow finished barn as opposed to a ferro the wean operation. Um, but saying that, you know, have a, develop a consistent approach for when you're going through. I always start, for example, when I go to a salad barn, I always go through breeding gestation first. I start where the babies are made and look at whatever issues are happening in there. And then I go into the farrowing room and we look at that, you know, and then we can go to the nursery afterwards. But, you know, they're, they're quite different, obviously, stages of production. And so they need different approaches. And, and once you've got that consistency, that's a good thing. Um, because that's going to help with your diagnostic approach. And it, it's, it's just a lot of trial and error, but it's, it's getting that, that consistent approach to what you're doing is really going to help you and um, certainly keep some of the zebras away. Yes. One of the other things we talked a little bit about, though, is, you know, certainly our, our minds are, are always thinking about foreign animal disease today, um, and rightfully so. It's something we should focus on here in North America. As a young vet, um, I think that there's, again, some of this nervous energy or nervous expectation um, around that. And so I'm going to go backwards a little bit. I'm going to go back to PED. I was working in a, in a production system when PED came into the United States, and we had some very young vets in the, in the office. And right there's this, this panic of what do we do? What do we do? And of course, we turn over and we look at the vets who've you know, eliminated myco from herds and dealt with TGE and pseudo and, and we use that, that expertise to help. So how do we help that younger generation of veterinarians kind of mentally prepare for that potential that we could have an introduction and what the next steps are? Well, um, certainly in Canada, uh, you know, we, I think PD has really given us um, a great heads up for incursion of um, foreign viruses. Um, that's really what we're looking at now for foreign animal diseases. So I can you know, look at my experience with PED as, as being the first vet in Canada to diagnose it, which never had crossed my radar. I mean, I always thought it'd be somebody else. Thank you very much. And then, you know, when you get the phone call that night and, and they say, um, you know, hey, Sue, you had a positive. And I tell everybody, I've given talks on this. And and, and just this big pit, black pit opened up in front of me. And I just stopped for a minute and I thought, what am I going to do? I really, my mind, everything just stopped. Well, the good thing is we had an emerging response team with our Ministry of Agriculture and Food. So, you know, the commodity group, you know, Ontario Pork, the Ministry of Ag and Food, you know, we, we just, this whole group just was there. You know, we had the first conference call that night, an hour after I got the phone call saying you had a positive and I was seconded onto the team and everybody had a process in place to start working with it. I mean, we didn't know what we were going to do. It was only one herd initially diagnosed, but it was really, um, really cool to be part of that whole process. So it's really funny how my mind just stopped working because I really... I wasn't expecting to find a foreign animal disease. And then secondly was, well, what do I do? And, and everything you've been talking, you know, you call the feds and you call the provincial people and you do this and then it's like, I don't know, but I'd already called the provincial 
uh, folks. And so they already had a heads up because I was suspicious that morning. So the, everything came into play, but it surprised me with all the experience I had on my take on it. Um, so that's one thing to, to, you know, be obviously aware of the foreign animal diseases and how they manifest themselves. Um, you know, certainly I've been doing some training with just, you know, sort of field people recently. And, you know, I don't expect them to be diagnosticians, but, you know, basically if you have something really weird going on, a lot of pigs and they're piling up and they're really sick and they have like a lot of bruising and hemorrhages all over them or they're bleeding from the nose or they're dying or whatever they're doing, make a phone call, just call somebody. You may not even know what it is, you know, or there's a pile of blisters on their nose, like, you know, Seneca Valley virus gave us a big, you know, shakeup. Um, call somebody. That's the best thing you can do. Don't leave it and become a vector. And I think that's everybody's terror as a veterinarian. You're the one that missed that diagnosis. And there it went. So it, it was very informative doing that. And um, I have great faith in both the States and Canada because we certainly have our emergency preparedness getting into place and, and really drilling down, you know, to the fine details where we maybe were a little more coarse um, with our, our look at uh, how we manage PED. Mm -hmm. Yeah, perfect. What about to maybe the potential veterinary students that are listening today to the podcast? Do you have any recommendations for them to be doing now before they head out into their career paths? Get a really good mentor. I tell everybody that. And, and whether you call them a mentor or a go-to person, um, I learned that as, as much experience as I had when PD was in its early stages, I had my go-to person who was my mentor when I was at uh, the Ontario Veterinary College and who still is basically practicing today. And so I called my go-to person almost nightly because I, the other side of, you know, certainly these foreign animal diseases, um, you know, or just any issues in practice is that there's a tremendous emotional component to it. And I was really surprised at my very stoic clients who are Dutch in origin, many of them um, really took this very hard, you know, seeing the, the, the enormous death loss in these very young piglets. And it was not easy. And I hadn't quite expected that response. You don't know what to expect anyway. And then, so, you know, you, so I would call my go-to person and talk every night. And, but what happens is, and this will happen whether you have an outbreak in an area, say it's a really nasty strain of PERS, you know, and people are really upset and they're calling you and they're leaning on you. And, you know, one barn goes down, then another barn goes down, and then four days later, another barn goes down. And suddenly you are reliving the nightmare over and over as the vet. They're only reliving it once or living it once. We're reliving it all the time. So a really good go-to person, either you know, a professional one, a personal one, I think it's super healthy, you know, that you're not... You're not out there on your own or, you know, alone in practice, perhaps thinking I should do a better job. You're learning all the time. I'm still learning. And I'm amazed at how much I have left to learn. So I guess I'm going to be around for that 100 years maybe. But, but having the go-to people um, really help a lot, really helped me a lot. And so I would say you need to have those supports. I think that's a really good comment is that emotional piece. Um, the veterinary profession can be very difficult and, and you know, as a solo practitioner, um, that looks a lot different than maybe the, the clinics that have five or six veterinarians on staff. And so, um, 
how do you help those individuals who do want to be in those private practices or, you know, a very small mixed animal practice where they might be on call quite frequently? Is there any tips or advice you might give them? Uh, gosh, yeah. The on-call can be really demanding. And I, you know, I think all of us older folks have been through that. It's like, yeah, done that. It's, it's all good. Um, I, again, I, I would say, you know, having a good clinic culture is really important that you can discuss your cases, um, you know, have people help guide you through them, you know, a really good working relationship with your um, superiors or the older vets, whatever you want to call them. Even the technicians often have a great amount of knowledge in those practices that they can assist you with. So I wouldn't be afraid to say, you know, I don't know, or I need help with this, or I need to learn something more. And it also, you know, as the employer alerts you to, okay, they, they really want to learn this. Where, how can I help them? Where can I send them on their course? You know, whatever's going on. So I think it's a really positive two-way street and it helps with retention of young vets. I, I'm not sure I was that fortunate um, when I was a younger vet to have that same um, courtesy, I guess, if you will, a consideration. Um, I think when we graduated, you're sort of expected to go out and do it. And um, it's a different world now. And I think, you know, more of us working collegially together in practice and between practices, it to me is really important at this stage of my career. And I think as younger vets, I would work on that, you know, um, developing these relationships with people who have expertise in different areas, especially. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think that's a very good point. Um, I'm going to go backwards a little bit. You had talked earlier about when you have veterinarians, new veterinarians or veterinary students with you and you're at farms and you're walking through those barns and you're communicating with the farm staff and you don't look at records until afterwards. What what tips and tricks do you have for record looking at? I mean, I think that's you, records can be so overwhelming. So, you know, what do you where do you slice that pie to help them see the big things? Well, with, with records, I, I love numbers and I, I love looking at records because if you're numerically inclined, so if you're numerically inclined, let me interject, you don't remember anybody's name. And so my kids, although they have real names, I used to call them one, two, and three because that's how I kept them sorted out. They were used to me. But number, you know, records are, are fabulous, um, whether they be, you know, accounting records or, I mean, obviously I'm looking at production records. So you pull up the ones that are really important. Start with the easy ones, you know, repeat rates, farrowing rates, you know, days to estrus, um, you know, pigs weaned per sow, pigs born alive, pre-weaning mortality. Just hit the high points. And, and then you, you sort of put the other white noise to the side and just get them used to looking at that and trying to interpret them, looking at trends over time, seeing what's happening. You know, why is a weekly examination you know, maybe not as, as useful as a three-month aggregate sort of thing. And, and it, it took me a while to learn myself. And, and um, I think, uh, you know, it, I try and pass some of that knowledge, and I don't often get the students for very long, so it's really hard to walk them through the numbers, but getting them started. And, and to tell you the truth, years and years and years ago, between Lehman or ASV conferences, there was always good lectures on, or, or pre-conference lectures, seminars on interpreting different aspects of production records. And I still have those notes and I'll photocopy them and give them to them because these things don't change. Well, you know, the numbers themselves, you know, we're getting more pigs per sow, but how you examine them don't change. 
So here, take this dinosaur's notes and look at them and, you know, start understanding, um, you know, where we're, what we're looking for, what we're looking to achieve by looking at these numbers. Absolutely. I think that's a really good, good suggestion on how to do that because numbers can be overwhelming. Um, oh, yeah. Especially, you know, someone who's not very familiar in, in, and we know, right, we have more and more individuals coming into veterinary medicine that maybe didn't have that farm background, let alone a production background. So just walking into the barn is intimidating, but then to see this overwhelming number of of numbers can can also really throw some. And I think that's where mentorship's really important. So it's, you know, it's not sort of like bring you into this barn and we looked at the records and we called it a day. I think doing this repetitively, you know, if they if they are really interested in and being able to work with them when they have, you know, a day to come out with you, or you have a day to go out with them, how it's however it's going, you know, the schedules merge. And, you know, getting them in the saddle and, and getting, you know, that that initial comfort level. And then they start again understanding what they're looking at and then going forward from there. Absolutely. Well, Sue, as we kind of wrap up our time here, are there a couple of key points or tips that you'd either like to share with um, the prospective veterinary students or new new professionals or even employers of those new professionals? Oh, golly. Um, what am I going to say? Have faith in yourself. You got this far. You didn't get there by being stupid, really. You, you know, you've got a lot of brains between those ears. So have faith in yourself and know you're going to do a few face plants when you first get out in practice. Everybody goes through it. I call it baptism by fire, did all that. Um, and it's a learning. That's how we learn. You learn from your mistakes and you feel bad and you keep going forward, but have faith in yourself. That's why you're here. You know, I, I hear people say to me, oh, you know, these vets, they're struggling. They want to leave the profession. And I think, where is the mentorship? Where is the go-to people? Where's the go-to for the personal part? You know, if you've really had a bad case or a difficult case and say mixed animal practice and you feel terrible about the outcome, you know, we've got to be there and say, yeah, it's happened to me and, and support people through that. So I think that that's, I think it's really important. If you believe in yourself, you will, you'll be a fine practitioner. Yeah. And I think that ties in nicely with, with kind of the theme of today is the communication. Absolutely whether you're communicating with farm staff or owners about what they're seeing in the barns to your own personal emotional um, component, that communication is going to be key. You know, it's, it's probably, I've said this before to people and it's probably 60% of my practice is communication. Walking people off the ledge. You know, I had a screaming phone call Friday, you know, guys losing a lot of pigs, hemorrhagic enteritis, yada, da, 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 nothing's changed in the barn for the last six years. And he's really upset, you know, and, and we, we went through the list and I'm like, okay, um, you know, different, certainly our diagnostics now have changed what, what we thought it was a bacterial, you know, clostridial infection. Now we think it's other components, you know, some kind of fermentation. And so I thought about that and I said, I'd check the grind of your feet if I were you, and I'd probably coarsen it up to start with. But we do have to stop these pigs from dying. So, we, you know, I put a targeted intervention as far as medication went in. And, and by Monday, he'd called me back. I, I sent the stuff out to him, and he was, it's the relief. It's like, thank you. It's working. We haven't lost any pigs since, you know, Saturday or Sunday. And, and he says, this is just, and really, you know, he was really upset. And it's easy to get lit by your clients. 
and and you know then you start dithering as well but just kind of going through methodically i always go back and cross check my references i looked up the recent diagnostics of hemorrhagic areas has anything changed go online look at my textbooks i'm a big textbook fan myself and and just make sure i'm giving the best information i can give to them because their profitability relies on the information i'm giving them so i want to be as current as i can i also did say bring me some poop samples we're going to send them in we're going to rule out ileitis you know any other bad guys maybe it's a really late post-wing e coli i don't think so but you know so i gave him something to do right? Bring this in while we're waiting for the antibiotic to work and we'll go forward from there. Perfect. Now that's a great, great example and, and advice for the audience. It is time to our famous three. Since 1971, Zinpro has focused on improving the health and well-being of animals. As the most research-proven organic feed trace mineral products in the industry, Zinpro Performance Minerals deliver performance and profitability to swine operations around the globe. To know more, go to zinpro.com. For knowledge and news from the global swine industry, access our partner, thepigsite.com. Well, as soon as we wrap up our time, some of the things that we do is we do ask our guest speaker a couple of questions. It's the same across all of our guest speakers. The first one we like to ask is, what's your favorite swine resource? And I just heard you say you're a textbook fan. So. I'm a huge textbook fan. I'm such a nerd for textbooks. <laughs> I just picked up a terrific toxicologic pathology set because I get in these really weird cases and I thought, you know what, I'm just going to order this. They're horrendously expensive, but I also downloaded the digital version. So it's in my phone if I need it, basically. I've got the textbooks there that I can sit and peruse if I have to. And, and they're, they're almost like a comfort. They're, to me, I, I think us older practitioners, holding a book and reading it, there's, there's just something about it. I think the younger vets are like, well, she's a dinosaur, but that's okay. I don't mind. <laughs> so long as the job gets done, whether you want the computer or you want the book, it's all good. <laughs> Toxicology pathology. Is that what I meant uh, yeah. to say? Toxicologic yeah. pathology. I struggle with that myself. Um, so it, yeah, very, very cool. And then I also got a forensic pathology set as well, just because it's like, oh, this looks really interesting. And I'm at the stage of my career that I'm like, you know, a magpie. Oh, this looks really interesting. You know, <laughs> kids come home and they go, yeah, mom, there you go. You're filling up another bookshelf. <laughs> <laughs> but it's good. It's always learning. And we hear that a lot on the podcast is lifelong learning. And yes, so I yes. commend you for I think you know, you never know what you're going to stumble upon. Well, I think that's the beauty of, of veterinary medicine or medicine in general. You you just don't know, and you might think you know, and nature's going to hand it back to you sometimes, and you're like, okay, I have to go and read the book on this. Yep, absolutely. Well, how about something that's not pig related? Are there any books that you might recommend to the audience? Oh, you know, I um. I'm a big reader, clearly, but what I love to read are um, sort of essay type magazines that are out of my norm. So, you know, I, I read Nature magazine, but that's heavy, but it, it's, um, it certainly alerts me to what's happening in the other sciences. But I love reading about, um, you know, essays on society in general, um, the arts, and so The New Yorker is one of my favorite, I get, it comes at the end of the week to my house and it's my Sunday morning curl up in a chair and, and just, yeah, it's in, you know, the microcosm of New York city, if you can call it that, but it's, um, 
it just takes me to other places and it really informs me about topics that I had not thought about. And I think it's, it's very mind expanding. So find something that you enjoy like that, that takes you way out of your field of interest. And, and I think it, uh, it's good for, like I said, mind expansion. Absolutely. Well, that's an interesting one. Yes. So the last question I have for you, Sue, really focuses on um, if you can envision somebody in your mind that in your life you've defined as successful, what characteristic about them stands out to you that you think has allowed them to be successful? Well, you've heard me say it all through this conversation and it's communication. I, I think my favorite people um, who are older practitioners than I am had really developed that art. And that's why they're still practicing long past, maybe when some of us had reached our best before dates, um, because they, they love what they do and they're good at communicating it and people want them, you know, whether it's for the diagnostics or it's just for the conversation. Um, it's, it's that human touch. And sometimes it's sorely lacking in our society. And I think it's something that we give back to people. Perfect. That's great. Well, Sue, we do want to thank you for your time today. It's, it's been an enjoyable visit. Uh, for our audience, just a reminder, this is Dr. Sue Borlitschenko, who's with Ocean Ridge Veterinary Service in Ontario, Canada. Sue, thank you again. Thank you for inviting me. I've really enjoyed this. It was a pleasure. Imagine if with a few key concepts, you could have the potential to create a massive positive impact for swine producers. Join this small group and go to the next level of nutrition on this online training in applied swine nutrition and feeding by Dr. Marcio Gonsalves and his world-class invited swine nutritionists. Additionally, you will enjoy an exclusive community to network and exchange ideas. Go now to EliteSwineNutritionist.com.